welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Today, in Nehemiah chapter 7, um, the, I'll just set the scene, and I've titled this, After the City, Then the Citizens. After the City, Then the Citizens. In what we read in Nehemiah chapter 6, in, towards the last part of that, is that the wall had been finished. It said, now the wall had been finished. And when their enemies around about, you remember Tobiah, Sanballat, there's Geshem, there's several, and they just, they just kept it up, kept it up. They threatened to report them to the king. They did a lot of things. But when they saw the wall was really finished after 52 days, it said they lost their confidence because they saw that their God helped them. And we say, praise the Lord, Okay. But I just want to say, hold on, hold on, before we get too excited, because if you read down the last verse of chapter 6, Tobiah then became re-emboldened to send out more letters because some of the nobles of Jerusalem were saying, just a minute, we're not so sure that we want to move forward, and we're not so sure that we want to repopulate Jerusalem itself And that re-emboldened Tobiah to send more letters to Nehemiah to further intimidate him. And what happened, the reason that that the noblemen, some of the noble people did not want to move forward is because they had made political alliances and arranged political marriages with their enemies, and this had gone on for decades. And Leadership is so important, and there's also a downside to it. I read that leadership uh, in a country is so important, not just the top person, but the next uh, layers down, if you would, several layers down. For instance, most people aren't aware, but in the USSR, when the Iron Curtain finally came down, that had begun to crack years before but there was approximately 250,000 what we would call nobles or they were high government officials in the USSR that benefited personally from communism. And they had their country retreats, they had their cars, they had the wealth, they had the best of everything. And they really resisted against the USSR coming apart because they would lose their favored status. How many understand that? And what we have here was a similar situation. There were nobles who were Jewish that profited from the fact that Jerusalem was not repopulated. And so Nehemiah's task, he had been called back in under, there was a master plan that God had, we read in scripture, and uh, a few generations before Ezra and Nehemiah, there was another group that came back to repopulate uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been attacked and ransacked from uh, world powers. And they had come in and they'd carried off, one of the kings they carried off, uh, you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember that? 
in the book of Daniel, they were in one of that first wave. They took their best and their brightest off to Babylon, which is about 60 miles from present-day Baghdad, eight to 900 miles trip from where Jerusalem would be. And so uh, they had ransacked the temple. One of the kings had literally given them treasures of the temple so that they would have peace. And how many know that we can never get peace, never get lasting peace when we sell off the treasures that God has put in our heart? It just does not work. And so the Lord had arranged a couple of things that the first group of exiles that come back, they were, to, they were to come back and to rebuild the temple. That was a couple generations before Ezra. Ezra was to come back and institute the uh, worship and different reforms. He had some success, but it wasn't until Nehemiah came uh, 12 or 15 years later, and Nehemiah's charge was to rebuild the city and ultimately to repopulate the city. And then we read in, in Ezra, in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're, we're going to see this today, that after all of these things happened, then the people assembled together, and now they're ready for God to do a work inside of them. So God's plan was rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, and then rebuild the city or the citizenship, because a city is only as strong as its citizens. A country is only as strong as its citizens. A church is only as strong as the people who attend there. A family is only as strong as the members of that particular family. The main idea is this, is that rebuilding, rebuilding and building our lives is hard work, and it requires that we finish the task. There's a reason that there's four quarters in football, and you play every down, you can't check out just because you're ahead at the end of the third quarter. How many know that? There's nine innings in baseball. Even if you have a 15 to 12 lead at the end of six innings, you've got to play nine innings. You've got to finish. And in a spiritual sense, what God does in our life requires that we finish the task and what he is doing that we position ourselves for. it. And so it's hard work but as we finish the task as a requirement, but because it's God's idea, when we do it his way, we experience breakthrough and moving forward to permanent results in our life, praise his name. When Nehemiah came and he had cast the vision and he went back and Jerusalem was pretty well desolate, there were very few people living in it, in fact, most of the people that time lived outside of Jerusalem because the walls had been broken down, the temple wasn't being used properly, the gates of the city were gone, and there was no reason to be living in Jerusalem for most of the population. But God wanted it rebuilt. And this, this account is, if we looked at Psalm 127, it is a, it's a great illustration. Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I want to share with you and unpack today, there's three things that, from Nehemiah that God uses to build our lives and to rebuild our lives, no matter where we are. There are three things that God uses, 
and he's invested in you, and he's invested in me, and he wants to bring about permanent life and permanent change in our lives so that we can have a breakthrough upon breakthrough, and we can establish a new way of being. And so the first thing is first things first. Nehemiah 7, verses 1 and 2. It said, now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hanani, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. God rebuilds and he asks us to partner with him, but it's first things first. The end, the end of what God's done, what God wants to do, determines the priorities of how we build. That's the first thing in your notes. The end determines the priorities of how we build. The foundation is so important that we build on the rock. Jesus gave the parable of building on the rock or building on the sand. We build on the sand and the storms of life will wash away what we've done, if we build on the rock Christ Jesus, the storms of life can batter it, but they can never overcome the rock that's there. We, we're going to flash up a picture right now of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. This is a fascinating story. It's a very familiar image. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. The tower's tilt began during construction in the 1100s A.D. That's a long time ago almost a thousand years ago. The tilt began because it was caused by an inadequate foundation on ground that was too soft on one side. And so this thing began to tilt. It couldn't properly support it. The crazy thing is they continued working on the Leaning Tower of Pisa for 200 more years in the same place, and the tilt kept increasing during 200 years. So that when it was done, and today, they, you can't use it. It's good for a tourist attraction and to take photos and be an illustration in a sermon, but it's not something that you can use. The architecture is gorgeous. The engineering was to perfection. The Italians, I'm telling you, engineering and architecture, some of the most beautiful edifices that have ever been built in the history of man come out of Italy and are in Italy. But it was built without the proper foundation. And in fact, the thing is about 185 feet tall. Well, it's 185 feet on one side, but because of the tilt, it's only 183 feet on the other side. It tilts out from its axis, a vertical plumb line, 13 feet. Now, if our church was tilted like that, how many would even want to come into the, into the house of God on Sunday morning and say, whoa, I'm not so sure about that foundation. And so as we get ready to build on because of the Gen Now expansion, uh, they, there's 
test holes that will be dug and some have been dug. They wanna know what kind, the county wants to know what kind of soil is here so it'll support this foundation. And I, I just want you to know this building weighs a lot, but it can take a lot, all right? And it's just as square now as when it was built because it's built on the right foundation. Spiritually, God has a purpose for your life, but the purpose for your life determines what the priorities would be, and it begins with the right foundation. The second thing in this is that worship was the reason for being for Jerusalem. It wasn't just rebuilding the city's walls. It was that Jerusalem was to be the city of God. It was to be the joy of the whole earth. It was to be the place where the capital of the place that God had said, I'm gonna begin and plant my people in this land called Palestine or Israel. And Jerusalem was to be the crown jewel. But the reason for its being was worship. It was to worship and to bear his name to the nations and to glorify God through their worship and living by the law of God. And because of that, because of that, that determined everything that Nehemiah would do as he went about rebuilding. The third thing is that the end determines the leader and the builder, who the leader should be, who the builder should be. He selected Hananiah, his brother, but also Hananiah. They were godly leadership, getting the right people on the bus, partnering with the right people for what God wants in your life. We have a building selection, contractual selection committee, and it, uh, we've, we've narrowed it down to two, and there's, there's, a, there's a, a third that's right in there. The good news is, uh, the good news is one of the, the men is on a, has uh, the company that he works for offered to run a Dun & Bradstreet report, and the good news is they're both well-qualified to build. Isn't that a relief that we're not just... You know, that, that's, that's, they've got the horsepower, they've got the bench strength, the financial, they've got the capacity, they can do this job. This job is not just because you built a doghouse. You have to have the, you just, you have to have the credentials. And so that's the good news. But, so Harry Hawthorne, who's on this committee, he said, Pastor, I want to show you something because the bids range. I mean, there's, there's quite a, there's quite a range and, and so our job was tasked with who's the best one uh, for, for the job. And, and he said, and, he, and you can do this. You can. So he took a piece of paper. He said, I want you to see this. He said, we use this a lot. So draw a circle. You can draw a circle in your mind or you can doodle right now or you can get, get your iPhone out. You can, you know, doodle. And you cut that and make that circle into three parts, like three giant pieces of pie. So how many guys are tracking with me right now? Okay, all right, there you go. And he said, these are the words you write down. In one third, one third part, you put good. The next one, you put fast. The next one, you put cheap. And he said, when it comes to construction and projects, you can only get two of those three. So that if you want it good and fast, fast, you won't get it what? You won't get it cheap, okay? If you want it good and cheap, you won't get it fast. 
If you want it fast and cheap, you won't get it good, all right? So, okay. Now, I've shared that with you. Uh, It's really important in our lives who we choose to link up with that's gonna lead us or partner with us in our life's dreams and what God has for us. How many understand that? It's like flying a kite. If you've ever flown a kite, you know that we, we don't have a lot of power over that thing. We, there's an art to getting it up in the air. But once that kite is up in the air, we hold on. And the kite is sort of like a leader or someone that we partner with. And I'll just be specific. It could be uh, when you're gonna make, make a choice as a spouse or whoever that is, it's gonna be vital to the dreams that God has put in your heart. The truth of it is, the kite flies according to the wind that drives it. Every leader has motivations, the wind that drive it. And really, we hang on to the string. You hang on to the string. But you can't control where that kite is going if you want to keep it aloft. And so often, so often we think that we can run any old kite up there. It doesn't make any difference and it's not gonna influence us. It influences us greatly what's driving that leader. And so the Lord, I just, I believe God wants us to ask ourselves and we have a lot of teens and a lot of, a lot of terrific young adults that are in colleges and universities and or in the workforce. When you go to, God's put dreams in your heart. Who Who are you asking to partner with you? Who are you choosing to be your leader? What what is it that qualifies them that God would say, yeah, I'm pleased with this? And and we can't can't expect to just have a body in place and that things are gonna work out okay. And so the end determines the leader. Get the right person. The next thing is that, and I've added this since Thursday because I do like to tinker. Sorry about that, but I don't like the, I don't like the things rest. Even on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm up just working on things. But ownership increases strength. In other words, hand out the power to people. Don't be a one-man band. You'll notice in verse 1, 2, and 3, he uses the word appoint It's the same word, but it has different meanings because it's three different words in the original language. Their first was appointed by the reps of the people. That's what that means. The second was Nehemiah as the king's rep appointed people. But in verse three, he handed off the power to appoint. And the people in our lives that God wants to build with, it's important and critical that we hand off some things so that that we have a multitude of counselors that's inform, that are informing us and saying, yeah, this is right, or no, that's not so good. I think we need to think through those things. The second thing, that main thing that we see is that community is essential. The next two weeks we're going into, we're kicking off our, our fall, uh, our, our fall uh, small groups, and the big, one of the big stresses, not stress, but one of the big emphasis at grace is community. It's so important. Nehemiah shows us that community is essential. Nehemiah 7.5. 
He said, then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles. God put it into his heart to assemble the nobles, the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of the genealogies of those who came up first in which I found the following record. In Nehemiah, we find phrases such as this. And remember, Nehemiah went back to rebuild the city of people who had been demoralized. They were off task. They were off vision. They had lost their way. They were intimidated by the enemies around them. But God put something in his heart. And so we read terms like this, that after Nehemiah talked with them, they said, let us arise and build. And then it says the wall was completed halfway up because the, the people had a mind to work together. Assembling is God's idea. It's God's idea. Things happen when we assemble together as the body of Christ that don't happen anywhere else. When Nehemiah assembled them, it kicked off. It kicked off or set in motion a whole lot of things that God was able to do because they were all gathered together. There's a TV program that I, I like to watch. It's on Thursday nights. It's called Alone. How many have seen this? Alone. Anyone seen Alone? Okay. All right. Well, you, if you want to watch something that's not fast-paced, watch Alone. Okay. And basically what it is, they drop off uh, 10 individuals, it could be male or female, in some place that's absolutely desolate. There's no contact, no contact with anyone else. And Whoever can survive, it's survival is what it is, the longest wins the prize. And this is in season number three, so it's fairly successful because it's in its third season. And they've had them in places uh, like Patagonia. They had uh, one of the Vancouver Islands, and there were bears, and they showed a guy being a bear coming through his camp at nighttime. And some of them just tap out real quickly. And you, you have to, you're, you're allowed to bring like 25 fish hooks and, and uh, it's just alone. And the, the one guy that I really like from Nebraska, he's got a wife and a couple little kids and he's 22, 23. Um, I really liked his attitude in one of them. This guy was down to trapping mice. Do you know how many calories there are in a mouse? Like 25. I talked with someone uh, the other day, a, a couple, at, and they, they looked fabulous. They lost a lot of weight. And, and I said to the guy, I said, what? Uh, he said, well, I, I, they allow me 2,000 calories a day. And his wife said, they allow me 1,400. They always allow the guys more, you know. Even 1,400 calories, how many mice do you have to catch at 25 calories a day? <laughs> And there's no, mice, there's no mouse traps. I mean, you're making your, these rocks and you hope that the poor little guy scatters in there and then bow, down he goes, you know. I, on, and all you, you do have a sat phone, but as soon as you pick up that sat phone, you're gone. You get the hook and you're out of there. And some of them is literal starvation. But I'll never, this is what they said. 
The guy said alone. He said, we're, we're equipped. We're survival experts. Some of them have lasted 78 days alone in the wilderness. They all lose a, a lot of weight. But the guy said survival is one thing, but survival alone is another thing. They start thinking about their kids. They start thinking about their spouses. They start thinking about the ones that they have dreams about food. No wonder. After one day without food, I just think I'd grab the sat phone. Okay, let's get this over. I know I'm not going to last 79 days. Let's just do it right now. I mean, there's no guts, no glory. I have no guts. I'm not going to get the glory. Just get me out of here and and give me a big bean burrito or something. All right. But alone, community is essential as we follow the Lord. I read in the Baltimore Sun this past week, they did a piece on one of the major problems of aging is isolationism. They feel isolated. Their families are gone. Their friends are dying off. And you know you're aging? When, how many know one of the signs of aging? It's when you look at the obituaries every morning of the town, you're like, who died? Okay, most of you don't get that. That's a good thing. All right. And I was reading in Proverbs this week that it said the, the individual who chooses to live alone and in isolation, God's word says there's something wrong. Because God has made us to be in community with one another. Community is essential. When Nehemiah assembled them together, it was to practice. It was the practice of the presence of God. It's crucial. He'd heard from God. He assembled the people, and it set into motion heart searching and rededication to what it meant to be the people of God. That wouldn't have taken place outside of the assembly. We read in Nehemiah chapter 8, then because of they were assembled together, worship and awe took place and the people began to rejoice. They hadn't done this in years and years and years. And we miss out on God moments when we choose not to be in community and when we choose not to assemble ourselves together when the church comes together on a Sunday morning or whenever, whatever the day and the time is. It's no wonder that Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forget to assemble yourselves and to encourage one another to do that and so much the more as you see the coming of the Lord coming. Assembling reinforces who we are and whose we are. It's tough alone, but together, together, it reinforces our inheritance and our calling. I know regardless of the week I've had, what has gone on in my life, when I come together on Sunday morning and we begin to worship the Lord and I see you all and I recount what God is doing, all of a sudden there's a spring in my step. I'm encouraged. The saints have gathered together. The word of God is taught. People are discipled. There's hugs and warmth and laughter and there's friendship and fellowship and, and I'm just encouraged in the Lord and I'm, yeah, Lord, I'm, yes, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go forward. 
the first service this morning, we had the just dear, 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 dear friends, and, and for one reason or another, I, 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 um, just one reason or another, and I will say they, they talked with me before they left, and, and I, I just, I, I, it just, I didn't like it, but I don't, I can't choose people's choices. And this morning, I saw them in the parking lot. They came in their car and they hesitated. Then they went to their old parking spot, but they're sitting there. And I wasn't, I said, boy, that looks like so-and-so's car. And I went over and I, I, I looked and they looked at me and I said, hey, like that. And the next thing you know, they opened the door and they said, oh, Pastor Paul, we're afraid to come back. We didn't know if we'd be welcome to come back to church or not. I said, are you serious? Your family. And they hugged me and I hugged them. Okay, community. They said, we've been missing so much and we just, we've been in prayer. We, we just, we, we, we think this is where we really should be. And I said, praise God. And when we're together, it means so much we can feed off each other and we practice the presence of God. Also, when we come together, it's a team and we can do more together. It's together experiencing a ministry. The other, uh, this past week, I had real, real concerns about somebody. And, and I, you know, I know people say when someone leaves the church, don't go running after them. I, I don't run over, I don't run after anyone, but I, my heart, I feel it. I just want you to know that. If you want to hurt me bad, you leave the church. That's all. If you want to, if you want to make a statement, you just do that. Now, don't expect me to come running after you, and, uh, but I'll love you. I'll contact you, but I'm just going to end it right there. But anyway, so I talked with this individual, and I said, hey, where, I, you know, where, I'm just concerned. Can I have a conversation? Where are you? You going to church? I said, I'm, I'm not telling. What do you mean you're not telling? I just, where, I just wonder, are you going to church? That's all. I'm not telling. It's okay. And uh, I said, well, then they went on. They said, there's no good churches in the county. I said, well, okay. I know there's no perfect churches in the county, just like I know there's no perfect marriages in the county. And anyone that says they have the perfect marriage in the county I know where that's coming from. Oh, you're covering something up, okay? I know that for sure. But it's worth it to work through all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so I just said, well, I, I don't know what to say, but I started naming people, and I named a lot of you that are here this morning in some of the first service. I said, I just look at the people in the church, and that'll tell you, you know, and, and uh, they went on and on. And I, I'm just going to say, if you start talking about grace, you're cutting really close to the bone. You're really cutting close to the bone. And uh, so I just felt the Lord say to, to them, say, would you ask them to pray for you? And I did. I said, would you? Okay, all right. I respect all that, but would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And they said, well, why? I said, well, we're called to love one another. And uh, I'm just interested in you. I want you to know I love you. And 
And I found that when I pray for somebody, it softens my heart towards them. And, and you know what? They said, okay, all right. To praise God. I'll take that. How about you? I'll take someone praying for me. God wants us to be together. Community is essential. The, the third thing I want to share with you is to, to be people of the book. People of the book. And I'm going to have the band come if they would. Something really interested, interesting took place in Nehemiah 8. It says this, that, And all the people gathered as one man at the square. They gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And he brought it out, and they said, We need to build a platform so you, so you can stand on this and we can hear you. There was a breakthrough that happened. Two dynamics here. Nehemiah, Nehemiah had been so diligent and so courageous, and he did the right thing. He was obedient, and he was persistent. And because of that, all of a sudden, there was a breakthrough. He obeyed God to assemble them all together. And he realized after the city was built, the citizens had to return, and they had to be built up. But something else happened. The breakthrough was they asked, Ezra, Ezra, would you read the book of the law of Moses? We don't hear anything of Ezra in the book of Nehemiah till we get here. He, this man had been called back and, and he wasn't, he didn't lead the charge in rebuilding the city, but God had a call in his life and he sort of sat on the sidelines, but he didn't press the issue. But God's purpose and plan for his life was still the same. And there came a point when they said, where's Ezra? Where's Ezra? Would you read to us God's word? And I want to encourage you that, that just keep doing what you're doing. God sees. You don't, have to, you don't have to push your way. When the time comes, when the time comes, you'll be promoted. What God has put in your heart, God is, God is going to bring to pass. Verse 9 and 10, uh, it's lived by the book. God is the supreme architect. We've got a set of prints that's unbelievable. They're like 46 pages long. And we go over things uh, with builders and the, the detail, the level of detail, it's incredible. But you know God's word has a level of detail for your life. He's the wise master builder. Everything that you can imagine, he covers there. And then the book brings balance. It's because of the book that Nehemiah said, today is a time to rejoice, not to fast. There's a time to celebrate and a time to fast. God's word is a light to our path. It's a lamp to our feet. This past week, I, I want to tell you something I thought was really, really cool. I, I read something um, in Ecclesiastes about this balance. And my wife uh, has FaceTimed me every day that she's been in the Philippines, and sometimes twice a day. And they're, they're 12 hours ahead of us right now. So it's 12.04 p.m. here. It's 12.04 a.m. there. In fact, they're on, they're on their way back. They're, they've left Hong Kong, and they'll be getting back into JFK this morning, I think about 12 o'clock, and then here at the church around 3.30 tomorrow morning. 
And so every morning, and you know, for those who know my wife, Chris, she's real if she's anything. That's like she's just real. And so FaceTime, I didn't know. I just, I just didn't know how bad I looked. That's all there is to it. You know, it's like in my mind's eye, in my mind, I'm still 25. So what, what's this here? What's this shaking going on, you know? And so three days in a row, and, and I, I awaken fairly early, four to five o'clock when I awaken. How many know being awake doesn't mean you're up going, glory to God, I can hardly get going. Like, I, I like to get up and make coffee and grind the beans and read some of God's word and read the newspaper. Then we, we like to take a walk a couple miles. And then, I mean, we, we, you know, that's just our routine to sort of get going. And Chris goes, three days in a row now, she said, she came on, she had people around her. She said, I want to introduce you to someone. Brush your hair. And I'm saying, well, I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, you know, I look bad, but holy mackerel, you know, to say it to, how many know calling a guy out just doesn't fly? Brush your hair. Everyone, they're all laughing, you know, so I have no choice but to go from the kitchen in the hallway. And I said, oh, well, I'll, I just stuck it in my pocket. I can't see you. I can't see you. And so then I got out and I brushed my hair three days in a row. But I read Ecclesiastes because that's a, that's an, it's, it, it's annoying to me to be called out. Brush your hair. I read in Ecclesiastes. This is what it said. God spoke to me. It said, enjoy the wife of your youth. Enjoy her. God said, that stuff's really sort of petty. Don't worry about that. He said, you know, I've got a wonderful wife. But he said, don't let those little petty things. That's, how many know that's balance? Enjoy the wife of your youth. That's just a practical thing that God said to me. And I, and I'm, I, I said, babe, you just need to get home here. That's all. I just need you home. And I don't care if she's saying, brush your hair, what she's saying to me in front of everyone else. Just come home. And God's word will bring balance to our lives. It said, enjoy the wife of your youth and enjoy your work. That's balance right there. There's a time to, to fast, but there's also a time to celebrate. When we commit to the book, we position our lives for God's help. The big idea today is that God is in the business of helping rebuild lives. Helping rebuild lives. He's, he is invested in you and in me so that you can have right now the life that God has given for you. Because unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who try to build it. But he is here. He is here. He's come alongside to open heaven's resources for you and for me and to bring a breakthrough in our life so that the best and the best part is that he never stops building and increasing our lives. Praise his name. Amen. That's what you and I have as we open ourselves to the Lord. Praise God. Praise his name. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.